2: She was the first British woman to win five Olympic medals at five successive Olympic Games. Along with four silvers, the gold was won at Eton Dorney during London 2012 and alongside Anna Watkins. It was one of the
0: standout moments of the standout Olympic Games. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And after retiring from competitive rowing following Rio 2016, there was a damehood and an appointment to lead the organization that's responsible for the high performance sporting system in this country and delivering on a new strategy for more sporting success. She also has her own podcast called Medals and More, which I'm told is very good. But today we're honoured to have her as our 50th guest on Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy.
1: Thank you, guys. I'm Catherine Granger and I am the chair of UK Sport.
0: Catherine,
2: it's great to have you. We've waited 49 episodes to get (laughs) you on. So it's brilliant to have you, the chair of UK Sport, as our 50th guest on Great British Bosses. What does the chair of UK Sport do then?
1: a very good question and one I I, uh, ask myself most days, to be fair. I've been at it now for five years, so I should know. I should have a quick answer to that. For those who don't know, UK Sport is is an arm's length government body. It's a body that basically works with all the uh, Olympic and Paralympic British sports. Um, So we do a mixture of supporting all the athletes, um, investing in in the national governing bodies that that oversee those sports and also invest in major events that are hosted in this country. Um, but as the chair of it, uh, I have to say there's no such thing as a normal day. So every day I'll be dealing with a wide range of things. And although I was a funded athlete for a very long time, so I felt I knew UK sport. It wasn't until I came into this role that I had any idea of the sort of scale and breadth and depth that happens in the organisation. So it's it's a very it's been a very steep learning curve. And it's probably every day still, still a school day, if I'm honest. Who would
2: who when it comes to... Becoming the chair of UK Sport was it something you had to apply for and sit through various interviews and boards to get, or did they come looking for you?
1: Oh no, I definitely had to. um, I I had to sort of claw my way in. So I I kind of, if I'm honest, it was. I'd finished the end of my rowing career um, in Rio in 2016. You know, I've been an athlete for a very, very long time, and I think, I mean, all athletes talk quite publicly about this step away from their sport is, is a hard step even if, you know, I'd had a probably, you know, positive career. I would I'd love being an athlete. Um, I knew it was sort of time to end, but it's still hard to make that final adjustment. And I, I kind of had to accept that I would, I would have to be something other than an athlete. And I didn't know what that was going to be. And I didn't really have any plans or sort of clear roles in mind, but I knew I had to, sort of get myself in the place where I, I could start applying for jobs and start thinking of myself beyond being an athlete. So one of the things I did, I sat down with um, actually people who work within our English Institute of Sport called Performance Lifestyle Advisors, who was brilliant at just talking me through what I might be interested in. Let's let's write a CV. And I went through that horrible thing of thinking, I've got nothing to put on a CV. You know, I've sat in a boat going backwards for 20 years. That that doesn't fill up many lines. And, you know, they were brilliant at just drawing out some of the nuances of that, that you've, you know the skills that you acquire when you're an athlete and so I, I became a bit more confident writing my CV and then I thought I need to apply for a job now with the CV I've got and I actually got an email from someone saying oh have you seen that the chair of UK sport is um you know the applications out for for that role and I said oh I you know I hadn't seen it and that's interesting I don't quite know why you're telling me and then there was a sort of would you think about it message and I thought absolutely ridiculous you know that is a that is a big, big role um, in sport. And I had, I'd sat on sort of charities and as a trustee and things, but I'd never really sat in a boardroom to that extent. So I I kind of read through the job description and, you know, usual thing. I thought, well, I tick some of the boxes. I, I could, but I just don't have that experience. I don't have that working knowledge of what that role would be. I really don't know what the role would be like. But, you know, I need to make that step into thinking beyond being an athlete so I will put my application in I won't be successful and I won't even get to the interview round but I'll put it in because almost I had to convince myself it was time to do something else and almost applying for a job was the the easiest way to convince myself that I definitely wouldn't be getting back in a boat or I shouldn't be getting back in a boat and um, then I got asked for an interview and I thought well this is brilliant I'll, I'll practice going through interview techniques and, and that's a really good lesson as well to get myself into the world of work still absolutely sure I wouldn't get offered it and then got probably the scare of my life when I was then phoned up by the Minister of Sport at the time to be offered it and uh, if I'm honest went into a bit of panic about whether or not I should then accept because I didn't really know what the job would be so I was um, yeah I I probably was, was one of those people who went through really enjoyed the process because I wasn't thinking I will get it or you know there's so much pressure on the process I really enjoyed by the end of the interview, I remember thinking, "I oh, whoever gets this is really lucky. I'd love this job. Um, so I'm really, you know, I did have this slight dilemma whether or not I should accept, but I'm thrilled I accepted. I've, I'm in five years in. I, I love it. It's hard. It's challenging. It's demanding. But I absolutely love the work.
0: And being chair, Catherine, is more than just a figurehead, isn't it? It's It's a lot more than that.
1: Oh yes, yes. I felt as a figurehead, I could do a lot, my, a lot of other things in my life. This seems to um, sort of dominate everything I do. Uh, obviously, the the you know the main job is you chair a board, and the board makes incredibly important decisions about the future direction of Olympic and Paralympic sport in this country. Huge investment decisions, which ca- which carry a lot of. I mean, I'm very lucky. I've got a, a, an outstanding board, and they really take the responsibility seriously. They really realise the impacts of investment or not investing in sports and in events and the impact it can have and so i work with extraordinarily impressive people which helps both in the executive and the non-executive side and i think there's lots about it that reminds me of being an athlete you know it's a very it still feels like it's a it's a performance world it's it's problem solving it's making decisions it's you know it's it, it matters it's got a real purpose that sits within it and and people are so committed and so You know, really, we've got amazing people who work in the organisation who really, really, you know, believe in the power of positivity that sport can have. And they really work incredibly hard. So I think, you know, I thought when I left being an athlete, I would never be in that environment again. And yet it surprises me in an organisation like this. I think there's so many similarities of incredibly impressive people working so hard every day to try and make things better. For something they believe in strongly and that, that that's an environment i thrive in so um yeah it's it's the board itself but it's also you know i, I i'm pretty hands-on within the organization as well worked very well with, very closely with the senior team but also you know i'm lucky it's a you know i love it was the first office i'd ever worked in and i actually love going into walking in and just meeting people and talking to people about their roles and what they do and learning how the organization works from the from the ground up and And seeing where I can, you know, be helpful and equally learning how not to be involved and not be helpful. So, you know, like I said, it's been an amazing learning curve, but the variety of the day to day work is incredible.
0: Two part question, if I may. You said you are loving it. You're still enjoying it since 2017. So what has been your your biggest success at UK Sport as chair? And then a a wider question. What is UK Sport's Biggest success.
1: I mean, my own success on a very personal level. I think one of the biggest earliest challenges was how, and I think every athlete goes this: how you will adjust from being an athlete to being a normal person. I'll call it because it's you know working in a job, and I didn't know how easy or not that transition would be, um, emotionally as much as anything else. So, like I said, because the environment I enjoy so much and is is quite familiar in a lot of ways, I found the adjustment probably easier than I expected. So, in a way, a personal success is is having been able to leave behind that world as an athlete and yet find something equally as rewarding and challenging and satisfying. So that that was a big success. From a professional point of view, I know when I first came in, there was a lot of challenges to the system. There was a lot of challenges around sort of the culture of high performance sport, but also about the investment decisions. Um and there's a huge frustration by a lot of sports that we hadn't been able to afford to fund you know, in recent years, I think one of the early things I sat down with Liz Nicholl, who was the chief exec at the time, and we we kind of very deliberately wanted to hear from those sports. And I think it's, you know, it, and like I said, all of this is massive learning, but I think it's easy when you're having a lot of criticism and challenge of the decisions you're making to still believe in them implicitly, but move ahead and sort of, you know, not listen all the time. And I think we did a great job of sitting down with the sports and really listening to why people thought we'd made wrong decisions or or unfair decisions. And I think creating that space and, and making sure UK Sport was recognised as still having to make difficult decisions that would not please everyone, it didn't mean that that UK Sport wasn't willing to listen and willing to adjust the decisions or listen to people and change as and when it was needed. And I think that was really important. Um, when Liz stepped down, I always knew she would as the chief exec within a couple of years. Uh, I remember the biggest pressure being told, not deliberately being told as a pressure, but saying the biggest thing a chair will ever do is replace your chief exec. Um, Because in a way, the, the chief executive you choose will also sort of frame the future of that organisation and therefore the, the what the organisation will do. And I start to laugh now, but I felt incredible responsibility on my shoulders during that time. It took quite a long time to go through the process. And I remember people from outside the organisation, people from inter- inside the organisation, all talking about what a massive thing it was. You know, Liz had been there for, for about 10 years. So it was a big, big change. And a lot of people saying well, how important it was. But I'm sure you'll get it right, Catherine. I'm sure you'll make the right decision. But, you you know, you go through this sort of, what if I don't have the answers in front of me that I need? What if I can't find the right person? What if we can't, you know, how do I know it's the right decision? And I, I worked with, you know, with a group. And again, my board were incredible, supportive throughout it and were with me every step of the way. But it still feels ultimately is the chair that is your that sits at your door ultimately. So um, that felt a huge, and the first time doing it as well, that felt a very big moment. But I feel it's a success. We have Sally Mundy in that, and she's settled in, you know, flying in the role and doing incredibly well. So I feel, importantly, it also had to feel right. You know, I think those leaders, the chief execs, have such influence internally and externally. So as much as how good they are it needs to be how well they handle people and situations and I think that's really important to get right Um, and then also I was kind of overseeing the change of a new strategy kind of within the first few years I was here there was it was just time it was time we hit we we looked at the strategy and adjusted and changed for the future and that again feels this strategy will live outlive me in my term at UK Sport so you're signing up to something that will go on long beyond you and will genuinely affect the way that Olympic and Paralympic sport operates so You know, I'm really, really proud of where we got to with that strategy, but it wasn't a simple process. It was challenging. You know, we had to we had to go around it so many times to make sure we have it right. Even now it will still get challenged when things are hard. And, you know, I think that's when you have to really if the process is right and you really believe in what you've done, then then the challenges you can cope with. I think looking back on what's happened in those five years so far, I think there's a lot that as an organization to be proud of. A country
2: in recession. A cost of living crisis, people needing to go to food banks in 2023, a creaking health system. Should sport, elite sport, be cutting its cloth accordingly in terms of investment moving forward? Or do you have that pretty robust argument when you sit opposite the minister to say this is why you should continue to get the pot of money that you do?
1: It's a really good question, and and the answer is probably both. You know, I think we do have a really robust um, reason why sport matters in people's life why it's important you know even even watching some of the recent events 2022 felt like it was the first year post COVID that we saw some incredible major events happening whether it was the women's euros you know um in the uk or the the world cup over in qatar or the rugby league world cup that happened um you know, gymnastics championships some incredible sporting events happened domestically and globally and I think I think you sensed, especially when it happened in the UK, you sensed the positivity come back and the unity of people coming together to really celebrate something very special. So I think sport has a very important role to play in society. You know, I mean I think it alongside arts, culture, there's so many things in our society that matter to people and that we need to protect and promote, um, especially when things are hard. But at the same time, we don't we don't sit in the sort of, you know, protected Uh, bubble we're very aware of of what's happening and every sport we work with has felt that cost of living crisis hit you know whether it's restrictions now on how many how much people can afford to travel or to fly or to compete in in countries whether it's the day-to-day living of athletes which is obviously going up constantly and yet we're not going to get more money we're very aware right now the country is is struggling with budgets so we're not going to find more money in fact even if we continue. We've been very, very well supported by the government. And I think we will. I hope we will continue to be. But it doesn't mean it will increase. So even if we get the same fantastic support with inflation, with all the other rising costs, it's going to feel like we have less. So sport inevitably will have to cut its cloth like like everyone else is doing at the same time. So so it's probably a mixed answer of um, we will cut our cloth because we have to. But I would argue, you know, to my last breath that sport matters and sport should continue to matter in people's lives.
2: And when we see the medal moments at the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games, is there evidence that those medal moments then transfer to more participation, to a more robust grassroots system of sport, more children getting involved, for example?
1: We all have this assumption that when we see these incredible moments, then everyone's going to want to, you know, pick a football or run out or get in the local swimming pool or go down to a local gym and get involved. And and, and this, the stats are still hard. There's not quite as, as close a causal link as we'd like to see in those areas. What we do know is that the success on those big stages do create inspiration. Some people will get involved in sport. Often people who are already doing sport will get more involved. So we can all, often make that link. Or we've also seen as people are inspired not necessarily to do sport but to to do other things in their life because what you see when you're watching sport is you see people overcoming incredible obstacles and and following their ambitions and their goals and their dreams and a lot of that it's a it's a bit of a human spirit thing so I I know I mean even firsthand speaking to people who have watched things as huge as the Olympics or the Paralympics and have changed something in their lives which isn't necessarily meaning they're all going to then go down and join clubs and become you know, superstar athletes themselves, but they have done something in their life that they are proud of and better for having done. So I think that inspirational effect is is big. Um, It's harder to measure, obviously, but it's important and it definitely exists. And I think what we're also seeing, one of the big changes, even in the, since I finished competing, is we have got athletes who are so much more willing than probably ever before to use the platform they have to speak about issues that like are very, very powerful and really matter to them. And that's, you know, we've got, we did a sort of survey and over 86% of the athletes funded through public funding through UK sport want to, in some way, do something beyond their sport to to have a positive impact on society. So, you know, I think, again, when the, the medals and the moments of success and the moments of personal best and these really, you know, exciting, thrilling, spine-tingling memories that we all share... I think we increasingly see that as a springboard. So, so some will just be an end in themselves and they, that moment will live. But actually, for a lot of athletes, they use that moment and that platform to do more with it. And it can be anything from, you know, climate change to LGBT rights to, to you know, gender inequality to racial things. You know, there's so many different areas that really matter to athletes now. And, and I think they have a voice where they probably didn't feel they had one before. And that's been a big change.
0: We are talking to Catherine Granger, Chair of UK Sport, the 50th guest on Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. And we're honoured to have her on the show. Uh, we will be talking about your amazing rowing career, hopefully, before the end of the podcast. But just a couple more questions. There's something you just brought up just there. And I thought it was it was relevant. And we don't really talk about football on this podcast, obviously. But there were protests or planned protests by the uh, footballers of various nations, England and Wales being two of them, to wear uh, Pride um, captain's armbands at the World Cup. But FIFA really clamped down on that and that didn't happen. How, as as an organisation that works with these sporting federations, how do you change their minds moving forward? Or is it down to the athletes, like you say, to actually have the courage to do it themselves?
1: I think the the, the interesting one with the the sort of armbands you mentioned from Qatar was um, sort of how late in the day that that seemed to come in. You know, I think an Ideal World, you have those conversations before the event comes. You know, having been an athlete myself, the last thing you want is when the tournament's about to start. Is those things still causing distractions and focus? Um, And I think, you know, I think a lot of the, especially the, the sort of European football teams had already signed up to saying they'll wear the one love armband and the captains are very proud of that. And I think, you know, almost within hours of some of the matches' kickoff, FIFA had come in not just with the we'd prefer you not to, but if you do actually I think most from what I saw and read and heard, a lot of the teams would have been willing to take a fine. A lot of the the organizations would have been, I know the FA were willing to take a fine for the captains wearing the armband. But when it came down to you could get a red card or you could, you know, actually it would affect performance, then suddenly it felt there was a, a slightly different game being played. Um, you know, I think the the obviously the German team did their their team photo with, you know, their mouths covered to show that they've been silenced. And I think there's ways that athletes will still speak out. Um the frustration is when it looks like the athletes get penalized within the sport itself. I mean, that that feels an unfair way to handle that discussion so you feel again it's for people who are you know in someone. you know it's the reason why the people in the senior leadership roles have that level of accountability and they 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 are expected to have those conversations you want though, ideally you want those conversations ahead of the moment when the sport actually starts so that you know what needs to be said where the discrimination i mean even the things like i mean sports washing is always argued but when the decisions are made about where events go to I mean, that's, that's the time for these conversations to happen. That's years in advance. And yet it seems to be the minutes before when it really sort of comes into focus. And I think that's when that that's a frustration. Cause obviously that's when the media is watching and that's has the most exposure. But I guess my frustration is if you see athletes being penised for that moment for saying something they feel strongly and they believe in, then then it's some people somebody's got it wrong earlier down the road.
0: Well, let's hope those conversations are taking place. Uh, with the Olympics um, ahead of Paris 2024, which is now obviously next year, Russia. The Olympics are manoeuvring in the background in Lausanne about trying to get Russian athletes back in for Paris 2024. And we know what's still going on uh, in Ukraine. You were in Beijing when this all happened. And how close were the Paralympics to not happening, the Winter Paralympics in, in Beijing to actually not happening? And as a former Olympian, how would you again say to the IOC what is the right way forward for, for them trying to looks like trying to go? Well, we want to have some kind of uh, Russian athletes involved in Paris twenty twenty four.
1: It's a great debate, and I actually think I think Beijing the Winter Beijing Olympics last year was a was a brilliant example of of the complexity of those decisions as well. I you know I remember we'd had the Winter Olympics although there were still issues. You know, we're talking about sort of politics coming to sport. You know, Beijing itself and China itself had come under a fair amount of criticism for hosting, regardless, um, because of areas around human rights. It had come and gone relatively smoothly. Then the Russian invasion happened to Ukraine, and then the Paralympics was due to start. So I remember going to Heathrow to fly out there and having a quite high-level meeting in a very bizarre room they'd had to find for us in a corner of Heathrow, um, with the Paralympic Association, some of the, the people from the Paraly- British Paralympic Association who were flying out in the same flight that I was, with other members of UK Sport, but also with people who were already out in Beijing, because obviously the teams were out there, so some of the leaders from the teams who were in Beijing, including some of the members of the Paralympic Association out there, um, there was sort of government involvement, there was lots of different people on that call and there was, there was a sense of we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. You know, we we didn't know at what point our government would would get involved as well and have requests of, of athletes at that point. We weren't we we're trying to find out where the athletes were. We we're trying to find out what was happening with the International Paralympic Committee and the decisions being made. And at the time, I remember getting on the flight and getting on the flight, Russia were going to be competing And we had quite a long flight, obviously, to Beijing. We didn't know what would happen by the time we'd landed and we'd be having meetings straight away and there was a risk we'd be turning around as soon as we got to the airport if decisions had been made to withdraw the team and that was always an option. Um, By the time we landed, within, I think, with a couple of hours of landing, the IPC had reversed the decision and Russia were not going to be, Russia and Belarus were not going to be competing in the Paralympics. And I remember there was being, there was a huge relief from the British team because there was a sense of would... Some of the British athletes boycott the moment of competition when it came to it, especially where there were. We knew there was Ukraine athletes who couldn't compete, so then to see Russian athletes competing would then feel uncomfortable. Um, so the fact it all went ahead, and then I met some very senior members of the International Paralympic Committee. I remember saying to them, almost without thinking, "Ah, oh, you know, it must feel good you've made the right decision now, because it sort of was a sense of the right thing when you've got a a country like Russia invading." Ukraine then there should be consequences where you can find them but the IPC were saying it wasn't it just wasn't as simple as that they didn't think they actually legally had the right to do it they had they had gone back in their decision but they were still worried it was the wrong decision they felt they could be sued by Russia and it could bring down the whole International Paralympic Committee but in addition to that there were many countries many global countries who didn't agree with the decision and we were seeing it very much through Western eyes and interpretation and there was a sort of pushback of why are, why is, say, Britain feeling so strongly on this, where you didn't feel strongly on other invasions and other wars? And you suddenly, I mean, I felt quite naive, but you had the complexity of sort of global politics and global politics and sport being opened in front of you. And you realise that actually these decisions are far more difficult and far more complex than I think we can see from our side of the world in a way. Um, so I think we're going to see it ongoing between between now and and next summer in Paris, I think there'll be very split views again. And there's always an argument of, do you try and let, should the athletes be the ones to suffer? Um, Should the athletes be able to compete under a neutral flag? You know, we've seen that in the past, although the neutral flag has never felt particularly neutral because we will still see the Russian flag in stadiums. You know, I've seen it myself in stadiums. You won't have the Russian national anthem necessarily, but you will still know these are Russian athletes and the Russian athletes will often feel very, of of Russia and we also know that sport is used as a, a you know a showcase of uh, a force of success and pride in that country. So you know again it feels very uncomfortable that a nation that is at war could still be celebrating sort of success on a global stage and showing that pride. so it's there's some real you know I think again how do you how do you talk to the IOC and the IPC and these people who make these decisions? I think people just, you know, often countries come together, often the countries who feel similarly will come together and support it. But I think it's also, although many people say s- politics shouldn't be in sport, and I always come from that place, politics shouldn't be in sport, it feels when there are wars happening, you can't pretend sport can be immune to that. And you, I think you have to be very honest about the role it can and should play. But ideally, you know, I think it's very hard when, when individual athletes get pulled into it, because I think often they they unless they want to be in and sometimes they do they they I feel like they are um, if they don't want to be involved in it it's harsh when they get pulled into politics and I'd, I'd sort of want to protect athletes on that level.
2: Is that because your background is as an athlete so first and foremost even though you're now the chair of an organization you would put yourself in the shoes of the person the individual that's been training for four years to go to this event?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm I've, as long as I can, although it's, you know, every year passes, it's a year further from being an athlete. I still would. I did it for a lot longer than I've now been, say, in the role of the chair of UK sports. So I still have a lot of understanding of the athlete mentality. And I, I don't feel, you know, I think sometimes there can kind be of criticism that athletes feel they are they kind of put their head in the sand they just want to think about their sport and they don't want to think about and that's that's not my experience a lot of athletes are very very aware of what's happening in the world and and have huge concerns about what's happening in the world and feel frustrated at not being able to do more but I feel almost strongly unless they are comfortable in speaking out and using any platform they have they shouldn't be asked to and they that's not their role that's not what people get involved as an athlete in sport for they've got a, a very clear role to do and a job to do and unless they're willing to, they shouldn't be used on a political platform. Because I think there's a lot of other people who are better placed to have those very high level, very political decisions. And and if athletes don't want to get involved, I don't feel they should be pulled in.
2: A couple of lighter ones as we edge (laughs) towards the end of Great British Bosses, our 50th episode with Catherine Granger. So when you were going backwards in a boat, to use your phrase, uh, London 2012 with Anna Watkins, did you did you think a decade later that you two would end up with some of the biggest roles in British sport? You as chair of UK Sport and Anna now the chief executive of the British Elite Athletes Association.
1: Um, most days we sat in the boat uh, loving every moment of playing in the water. Uh, I don't think we really thought about what might come next. But I know we I remember us sitting in I think it was like in Hyde Park. We, we had one summer we were sitting there in these giant beanbags they put out in some of the parks. For some random reason, and thinking, what if? What would be sort of dream job, and what be ideal jobs? And it's it's fair to say we both were were pretty ambitious in our sort of plans of what might come next. Um. So on one level, yes, it's kind of strange and it's sort of pinch, And you know, we'll we'll meet up. You know, professionally about the two the two roles we have now, and kind of overlap. You know, there's a lot of things in common between the two organisations that we're in touch with um so a lot of the time we're just talking about the business at hand then occasionally we'll have the moment of oh my goodness look where we got to now and but I I'm certainly not surprised with Anna you know I know I've I've always had you know the most enormous respect for the person she is the individual you know the integrity she has but the intelligence she has to match it and it's just such a brilliant organization that needs someone who has that passion and experience and drive and we've already seen her doing brilliant things so I think it's the future is looking very bright do
2: you still row? And if you row these days, is it with a glass of wine in hand?
1: Ah, uh, It's really hard to row with a glass of wine in hand, I'll tell you that. Um, not, I couldn't say I've tried, but uh, no, I still row. I still, you know, I get in a boat occasionally and um, not as often as I'd probably like to, but I do do it. And I've still got some amazing... I mean, one of the best things you get from sport is your friendships. It, re- I mean, that is untouchable. And, you know, people that I rowed with internationally and um, we still have that very immediate very easy connection we've got incredible sort of shared history and we don't talk about the shared history you talk now about everyone's day-to-day lives and the challenges we are living with in in real life but we get in a boat and it's you know the years do fall away and we know how to make a boat feel good and we still are more competitive than we should be and um yeah it's like it you know i think there's something very just a physical act of pushing away from the bank and you kind of leave everything behind and for that that time in your boat it's that's all you're thinking about. And that's all you're enjoying. So it's a real escape for me when I do it now.
0: That gold in London, the silver medals in Sydney, Athens, Beijing and Rio, six times world champion. Do you have a favourite race?
1: Well, yes, I do. It's the obvious one, to be honest. The <laughs> fa- I mean, it's hard. I I, I was really lucky. I had a very, very long career. I enjoyed the vast majority of it. I really did. And I loved racing. So all the, you know, all the big events, the world championships, the olympic games the world cups you know i do it all again in heart, heartbeat i absolutely adored it but you cannot i'd struggle to find a way to top the final in london 2012 you know you said at the beginning it was such a special summer you know it wasn't just the race it was a race within that event within the the olympics itself within the summer um that that britain enjoyed and there were so many positives that that summer was surrounded by you know even now, we're like over 10 years on now. And I, st- I still regularly meet people who have some very treasured memory or feeling of that summer. And so to be an athlete at the heart, at the heart of that was, was such a privilege, it really was.
0: And where does that drive come from, Catherine? Does it come from the Glasgow roots? Where does it come from?
1: Uh, I mean, probably impossible to pin down a play. I mean, it's it I mean, that drives a bit of everything of you, isn't it? It's it's. You know, my family, my parents, my background. I'm sure a bit of a Glaswegian grits going on there. Um, the people that surround me throughout my career. Yeah, I mean, I it was. I don't know where it came. I couldn't isolate where it came from, but I'm very glad I've got it, and I think you know I keep it, and it does help me day to day. And I think I think it probably get gets honed. I think it probably helps if you have it initially when you start as an athlete, but over the years as an athlete, it gets honed and honed. So you are constantly, you know, everything about an athlete is improvement. It's always about finding where you can do things better and learning and improving and better. And actually that's just a very helpful fundamental basis for other things in life as well. You know, it's a really simple way, but it's all about reviewing and understanding finding where it could be better and trying it again, doing it over and over again. So I think those skills, that the drive that was there initially got improved as an athlete, and I get to now benefit from that now, I'd say.
2: So let's look ahead to next year. Paris 2024, the Olympic Games, the Paralympic Games. It's always an exciting hurdle towards the big events. What is the shape then of sport in this country? How will Team GB and Paralympics GB do? We keep hearing from people... It's another home games. Is there going to be another home games bounce, for example?
1: It's an interesting one. There's a real split on this feeling of it's another home games. You know, I I think the important thing to remember, it's the first time since London 2012 that the games are coming back to Europe. So it is the first time in a long time that we will be, you know, in our own time zone, that we will be um almost, you know, sort of within our own climate. So I think the mixture of there'll be an an advantage for athletes to to be more familiar it'll be more accessible the crowds will be they'll be easier to have home support traveling and things when it's just across the water Um, and I think there's lots of things that athletes can absolutely turn to their advantage which will be thrilling and exciting and also from a public point of view I think we will have you know I think a lot of people will either make the journey to Paris or be able to watch at home very very easily it'll be very accessible um, and I think the times zone makes an enormous difference. So I think there'll be um, a huge advantage in that. But I think we shouldn't get overconfident. It won't be a complete home games. You know, it's still it's France's home games. We're just going to be just just neighbours popping over. Um, so I think you can turn a lot of advantages. I think definitely there'll be a lot of things we can turn to our advantage. But I think we, there'll be no complacency either. In that it will still be an immense challenge that people want to get right. I think you know the shape we're in is is good. I think. It was hard to know how Tokyo was going to go after the pandemic and still probably within the t- pandemic, if we're honest. This will feel the first Games, I think, hopefully, if nothing happens the next year, where uh, it feels sort of back to what we're more familiar with. But we'll have athletes who haven't experienced that before. We'll have athletes who, you know, have only been around post sort of the Rio Games and therefore haven't really experienced that 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 sort of showcase that it is. We've, had, we've seen phenomenal success. For example, our our cycling teams, both, both Olympic and Paralympic, have had extraordinary results in, in sort of recent championships. Um, I was lucky enough to get to the, the World Gymnastics Championships last year. It was hosted in Liverpool. We had incredible results there as well, which meant the teams qualified early for the Games, which is a massive advantage. Um, my own sport of rowing really kind of, after a sort of lower point than, than familiar in Tokyo, um, really bounced back incredibly well last summer so that's exciting to see where that goes next again olympic and paralympic alike Um, we've got we've had you know for the first time ever we've had our judo we've had two athletes who have topped the world rankings in two different weight categories we've got um i mean athletics is is always going to sort of light up track and field and we've got some big big names who have had incredible stories alongside them as well you know i think people really going back to sort of birmingham and the commonwealth games there's some amazing sort of stories there um, with Laura Muir doing her bit and and then McColgan mother-daughter combination, you know, really things that engage people. So it's not just the, the incredible results, but the performances and what sits behind them are very powerful. And I think we will see all of that come Paris. And again, we've got some new sports, you know, the newer sports we had in Tokyo with the climbing and the and the surfing um, and skateboarding, you know, drew a lot of new audience members. And we've got breaking got breaking coming to paris which a lot of people haven't quite got their head around so you know seeing a very different style sport um will be exciting so i think there's i i do i'm very optimistic about how the team can do and i think having it in paris will be uh, a big lift for a lot of people but i also think it'll be it'll be a big one for our public i think the british public will really get behind it and be really excited to be part of it again
2: So expect to see Great Britain and Northern Ireland right up there on the medal tables at both games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the wonderful thing is, you know, I don't think, certainly from my experience, it's not like um, ambition has, you know, because we've been successful for a very long time, and that's largely part to the investment of the National Lottery. And the wonderful thing, and I can say this as an athlete who was funded by the lottery for many years, you are very aware that's the public, that's public buying tickets has enabled us to do this stuff. And so the the Olympics, the Paralympics is almost the give back. You want the public to enjoy it and be thrilled by it. And although we've had many, many games now of, of really quite extraordinary success, I don't meet any athletes now who are sort of feeling, well, Oh, well, that was that was the glorious past. You know, every single new coach, new performance director, new athletes, people who work incredible, you know, whether psychologists or physiologists or physiotherapists or nutritionists, their time is now and they want it to be the best time they've ever seen. So, you know, part of UK sports ambition is, you know, the greatest decade yet of sporting moments is is because we think that there will there is so much more to come, even without home games, there is so much more to come. From from sort of that incredible community of athletes and and, st- and staff and sports we have. Well, it's a
0: great way to start the year. You've got us excited ahead <laughs> of uh, ahead of next summer already. Uh, Dame Catherine Granger, Chair of UK Sport. Thank you so much for talking to Great British Bosses.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.